Ats Maria, welcome to First Up. It is Rapa, that's Wednesday, the 19th of October. Kornathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, parts of Australia are still underwater. Pam Corkery is with us soon to tell us about that. Wanganui's new mayor gets up early to have a talk to us. Uh, no prize for guessing that inflation is the big story of the morning. Increasingly, people are turning to clearance grocery stores where products might be close to or past their best buy dates. We sent our reporter Leonard Powell there just to have a look around yesterday. We went really well during the recessionary times and the numbers in the last couple of months have shown that customer numbers are starting to pick up again. One would think that if you need to save a bit of money, then yeah, hopefully uh, we can help. Morena, welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere. Let's go to Australia to start um, start your day off right, actually. Um, sad news over there, though. Parts of Victoria still underwater and also lots of young folk just freaking out because ads coming to Netflix. Joining me now from Brisbane is our correspondent, Pam Corkery. Morena, Pam. Come in, come in. Yes, I'm here. Good morning, young man. Happy, happy um, birthday, too, for the last... Oh, for, yesterday. for yesterday. I know. Yes, happy Thank birthday you very to much. You. I well, looked what's... through the many reports and none of them was yours oh, online. On? You can fix that. Yeah, was, go was, on. It's yeah. fine. Don't worry now. Yeah, I was saving it, for the, saving it for on air. thought it was a bit of fun to that. There you go. Hey, what's more that? important. Tell me what's happening with these flooded areas there in Victoria. Well, it just hasn't stopped since we last spoke. So th- thousands of people have now been displaced by floodwaters in the past few days. Um, and this is in, you know, a part of the the country, the eastern side, where most of the country's residents live. You know, like there's 25 million people or whatever. Most of them live on the eastern side. So as many as 34,000 homes in Victoria are inundated or isolated by the floodwaters. And people, are, they're now saying, to residents in some areas, it is too late to leave because the floodwaters are approaching 40 feet, you know. Sydney's not getting off either. They've had record rainfalls and transport is useless for many as the underground train stations are flooding, especially Central Station. I mean, you know, Sydney, that Central Station's quite central and Mm. pivotal. Um, And this morning's warning is prolonged rain right down the coast, flooding central Queensland, all of that to Tasmania for the rest of the week. Oh, goodness me. I was just trying to Google before to have a look where these... So it's up the sort of northern part of Victoria there, like right on the yeah. uh, right on the border there, up at Kerrang. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's have a look at this report out of the Sydney Morning Herald. So they reckon an investigation shown that Medi- the Medicare system being rorted by healthcare practitioners. What is, what is the rort? It's unreal. Like, it's a $28 billion scheme that the taxpayer is funded, you know, government run, um, and it's being abused by medical professionals who are making about $8 million, $8 billion rather, out of it. So this includes charging for deceased patients, falsifying patients' records, and double-dipping. Now, the thing is, there's this um, thing called bulk billing. When I first arrived in Australia many years ago, I didn't understand it. It's where you you have a doctor who only claims from the government. You pay no money when you go to see the doctor. And there were once signs everywhere saying, bulk bill doctors, and I thought, this is paradise. Now, they've gone off that, the doctors. So what they do now is they can say they can, you know, take the money off you, which is quite high, like 75 bucks to see the doctor, and then you'll get a small rebate back from Medicare. 
that's all. But some doctors are doing both, claiming the full bulk build and charging the customers. And customers don't know that's happening. You know, I mean, they don't see all that happening. And, um, you know, many of the claims are less than 100 bucks, so it's just all gone under the radar. And I'm not saying alleged here, you'll notice, because this is a joint investigation by the ABC, the Sydney Morning Herald, and the Age, and it will cause a huge inquiry into it. Now, that's great journalism. Mm, a bit of double, di- well, double dipping. It's almost like the old, you know. So I've got some time off on ACC, so I'll do a cashy. Except way more brazen is what they've got. Yeah, they're really brazen, and it's yeah. also over-servicing. You know, you go there, and suddenly they're going, "Well, you should go for prostate." And I go, "No, I'm a woman." You know, they're really. <laughs> <laughs> they go, we'll go anyway. I've got to make that. Yes. <laughs> hey, now this is uh, an interesting one. So Netflix, Australia, one of nine countries trialling ads on Netflix. What? I'm looking forward to your response to this. So <laughs> they will, from the start of next or the fourth, you get basics with ads for $6.99, let's call it seven, mm. and you they say you get the same content access, but the video quality will be limited. So that doesn't work for all. No, what's the point? Seven two OP. I don't even know what that means, but it's not as good. Um, And you'll get an average of four to five minutes per hour and not in a block throughout the hour. Um, Additionally, you won't be able to download titles anymore to watch offline or on a plane or somewhere and um what's what's the other thing that's annoying so this is the have they called it the please go and get disney plus instead um uh, strategy have they well here's the thing you know they've said there's a lot of people want to pay less no you lost two hundred thousand subscribers in the first quarter last year you know maybe the programming's not that good Mm. you know that's my thing and i mean to ask a personal question, how many streaming services have you got? Uh, three. Three? Yeah. Amateur. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, you know, it's, a, it's inter- you know, on YouTube, so those are supposed to play through, right? And there's that little bit that comes up and then it's got skip ad down there. Yes. Some kids at my daughter's school thought those were called skip ads. That's what they no. refer to them as. Well, then you wait for the movie and then the and the video and then the skip ad comes up and then you just push it after five seconds so you don't have to watch it. The skip ad. A skip ad. I know. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And it sounds like something girls should use. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, finally, um, this, this this pressure is on to raise rents. So there's, there's been a, a backlash to a suggestion to raise them by almost double the rate of inflation. No, this is just awful, and it was a Ray White in West End, which sort of is a very populous part of Brisbane. Um, someone from there said, "Mate, you can push it over the edge." Another, you know, recommending to their clients who they manage properties for, but raise it by twenty percent. Now, the local, you know, politicians have said this is just appalling, and it is. You know, this is you know when people say a personal anecdote, but my niece, she's got three children and she's a solo mom she was paying 460 for a house way way out of the city it's going up to 640 and the thing is there's nowhere else for her to go she has to find that money i mean she's got a good job but yeah we're all having to chip in for it
There's just nowhere to go. But, it, I mean, it's, it's skullduggery, it's venal, may you rot in hell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pam, yeah. thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, this is Pam Corkery out of Brisbane. Yeah, skullduggery. It's a word I haven't heard in ages. I'm not uh, asking anyone to rot in hell, by the way. But, yeah, skullduggery, terrible. Pam Corkery there out of Brisbane. It is uh, 13 past five. Uh, Russian forces have again targeted Ukraine's energy facilities, leaving part of Kiev and other cities with no power or water. The BBC's Hugo Bachega is in Ukraine and filed this report. Another morning in Ukraine, another power station targeted by Russia. This one in Kiev was hit by missiles at around nine o'clock today. To the west, Zitoma was also struck. The governor said an energy facility was hit. For hours, the entire city was without power and water. This is how Russia is responding to military defeats on the battlefield. The recent strikes have destroyed a third of the country's energy infrastructure, according to President Zelensky. Yesterday, the offices of the energy company and this residential building were hit. Five people were killed here, including a pregnant woman. More and more civilian sites have been hit by Russia in cities across the country, away from the front lines. Attacks like this shake people's perception of relative safety. But they also seem to be part of a strategy to destroy this country's critical energy infrastructure ahead of winter. So what can Ukrainians do? This family has lost almost everything in the war and is concerned about losing even more. Of course we are worried. We worry for our children because they are afraid of the dark. It's difficult to explain to them what's happening. Ukrainians have been told to do their part by saving electricity. But Russia's targeted attacks are likely to continue. Hugo Bachega reporting there from Kiev. Quarter past five, you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Now, as you know, prices are going through the ceiling. Uh, I still want to be on those news shows that just bangs on about it with no solution. So we have got a story later on where uh, our reporter, Leonard Powell, went to an amazing place, you know, which sells close to the, um, what do you call it, best before dates, right, for the cheaps. Just want to know, you yourselves, what what's the ones that you've come across for those that you're always like, yeah... I'll go for that if I see it with a date. Or is there a you know like a best before date that you would go? That's too far before me. Let me know. Two one oh one. We're going to hive mind all of us together here at first up. We'll be the smartest show and audience in New Zealand. And to increase your smartness, particularly about the Middle East now, uh, joining us from the capital of Qatar and in Doha is our correspondent Alex Beard. Kia ora, Alex. How are you? Morning, Nathan. Are you good? Okay, so let's begin. We've just been speaking with Pam Corkery in Australia. Can you just tell us a little bit about this? Australia comes out, says it no longer recognises West Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. That's a pretty major reversal, is it not? Pretty, pretty major because this is a, this had only been a uh, change in policy in 2018. So before that point, Australia, like uh, many countries in the West, recognised Tel Aviv as the capital of uh, of Israel, but then in 2017, US President at the time, Donald Trump, um, came out and said, hey, we're going to now recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. One year later, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, as we know, no longer Prime Minister, also came out and said, hey, we're going to move it to Jerusalem. And now in an about turn, um, under the new Australian 
government, the decision has been made to now recognize once again Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel. Now, this is a really um, quite important, and the Palestinian Authority has come out and congratulated this move, um, because Jerusalem, we talk about it quite a lot week after week on this show. Um, Jerusalem is a sticking point in the conflict between Palestine and Israel. Um, it is one of the, the sticking points, too, in any peace deal that could be reached between Israel and Palestine. Israel regards the entire city of Jerusalem um, as its capital after it annexed it and um, the 1967 Middle East War, while Palestinian officials, with mostly international backing, to be honest, want East Jerusalem as the capital of any future state that they're able to establish as part of a peace agreement. So it's a very niggly topic. And because of that, most international uh, well, most international powers have stayed away from recognising Jerusalem a- a- as a capital and have stick with Tel Aviv. And now Australia has made a reversal of the decision and has decided to look back to Tel Aviv. Yeah. Tell me, what is the latest uh, in Iran? Yeah, so there's a lot coming out of Iran at the moment. It's basically been almost exactly one month since Masa Armeni was killed. Um, slight recap, she, she died after being arrested by the morality police in Iran for incorrectly wearing her hijab, and this has found out into huge protests in Iran. You know, this is some of the lar- these are some of the largest protests we've seen in Iran in decades. And this has spun out in some really interesting ways, the most recent of which was there was a fire at Iran's pretty notorious even prison. Eight people have died, dozens have been injured, but interestingly, that prison has been used to house hundreds of those who have been arrested for taking part in anti-government protests. It's unclear whether the, the current protests in the fire prison are actually related but if, if you consider the fact that hundreds of those who are there are part of this protest section, I think it's a pretty safe bet to say there's some relation there. Um, the problem in Iran is that you're having, according to most human rights groups, hundreds of people who have been killed and increasingly more young people, especially young women and girls at schools who are taking off their hijabs, who are refusing to sing pro-government chants, for instance. And these, the, the Iranian security forces are cracking down on young people. Another 16-year-old um, girl killed just in the last couple of days. And each time this happens, the protest mu- movement is fueled even more. And we're expecting more, more large protests this weekend. And in response to that, the Iranian government decided to basically pull the plug on mobile internet. We're just not seeing these protests going away. But at the same time, the government in Tehran is refusing to budge. It's refusing uh, to change the status quo at all. So it'll be interesting to see if finally these protests are able to get some sort of fundamental change because they're not going to go away. Well, I guess uh, not just there as well. Uh, tell me about the um, the security forces cracking down there in Kurdistan. Yes, yeah, so Masa Armeni, as we said, that 22-year-old woman who had died about a month ago, she was Kurdish. So this it flares up already pre-existing tensions between the Iranian state and Kurds, there are a number of issues with, the, with Kurds wanting their own state and wanting to escape persecution. This is happening in a number of countries across the region. And because Masa'ah was Kurdish, a number of these protests and protest actions have been focused on the western province of Kurdistan in Iran. And there have been coming out of the regional capital, showing security forces firing weapons in residential neighborhoods and large groups of anti rule police moving around the city. And again, internet disruption. But I think this is just 
another example of how this is not just a religious matter, this is also an ethnic matter and is now turning into a human rights matter. Um, and as I said, there's no way this is going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, gosh, the you know the, the hijab is is huge now. So, see, a few concerns about this Iranian climber uh, taking part in the international competition without without the hijab. Yeah, so a 33 year old climber, El Nazar Habi, uh, she, well, if we look at the facts, she she put, partook in a climbing competition without a hijab on, and this is extremely rare. This the competition wasn't being held in Iran, but generally Iranian female athletes wear the hijab when they're out of the country, when they're representing the country. And so a clip of her has gone viral, especially in Iran, with, with protests praising her for going against the Iranian dress code, what's been going on. Um, it's hard to say whether she did this intentionally or, as she's now saying, it inadvertently came off. Uh, initially, BBC Persia, um, one of the few sources who were able to actually get information out of Iran, said that friends had been um, unable to contact her after uh, this climbing event that she disappeared. There was there were rumours that she'd been put in prison. She came out and said, hey, hey, my hijab inadvertently came off. It slipped off just before I started climbing. So that was what had happened. But it's time that's actually what has happened or whether or not the state has told her, you know, if you life you need to say that this inadvertently happened and you weren't doing this for any political political gain but regardless of what decision making was happening there uh, this has been picked up and they win for protesters who are now sharing it across the run yeah alex thank you very much for your time from doha that is alex beard 23 past 5 and Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNC National. Coming up, cost of living this morning. Uh, we'll have a look at that after yesterday's Consumer Price Index news. And we try to find ways to help the First Up audience through these price-conscious times. Back in the 1970s, a Skoda was the ultimate joke car. Not anymore, however. They're as good and as bland as any other modern car. But that wouldn't make an interesting Trade Me listing. So, this week on Trade Me, you can grab one of those jokes, a classic 1970s Skoda. But first, producer Jeremy Parkinson talks with Ruby top sand from trade me about edible art or inedible art depending on your point of view this is a mcdonald's meal purchased on the 12th of feb last year which has then been framed in a a truly beautiful gold frame it's like it's done beautifully and the said burger and fries are sitting pretty in the frame and they look i mean they don't look fresh but they don't look like they were made and bought well over a year ago which they were so yeah, I mean, it's not not art, Jeremy. That's, well, that's, yeah, it, that's it's all in the, in the eye of the beholder. And if, if you were looking at it in terms of food, well, for me anyway, if there was a choice between a can of baked beans and a year-old McDonald's Happy Meal in a frame... I'd be going for the Happy Meal, just saying. But so this is this is so that they they just decided to see what happened. They popped a frame around it. They bunged it on Trade Me, and its current bid is um, there've been eleven bids so far. What's the current bid on that one? Currently sitting at seventy four dollars, which will buy you a lot of McDonald's, even in the current economy. That's a lot of McDonald's. So. It closes on Thursday at 8.01 p.m. So there's another, there's a little bit of time left on this one. And often we see these kinds of listings garner a lot of interest in those closing moments. And they will, who knows how high this one will go. It, it just it totally it just depends on who wants the burger and, and fries and frame and how much do they want to pay for it. More social experiment than art, I think, would probably decide on there. Yeah, I think. 
think that's fair. And, yeah. and judging by the question and answer section, there's a lot of interest. So we'll be watching this one closely. Uh, in cars today, back in the day, the Skoda was the butt of many jokes. It was an Eastern European car. It wasn't made particularly well, but wasn't certainly wasn't bland. They weren't the greatest of cars. But one you didn't see around much or at all is the version that's up for sale on Trade Me this week. This is a coupe, which is, you know, like a fastback version. It's called the S110L. This is an interesting car, and, and quite a few of my car mates have posted this on their social media to say, I wouldn't have considered a, a 1976 Skoda, but now I'm in my 50s. This is a cool car. <laughs> and they're not alone in thinking that. It's it's had nearly 3,000 views and 27 bids. It's currently sitting at $3,020, with quite, quite some time on this one, another over a week. It closes on the 30th of October at 8.45pm. I wonder if the person behind this listing expected to get as much interest as they've got, but they're pretty upfront, which is fabulous. We love that in, in the listing description. It's on a jump starter. There's no battery. It drives well enough, but coughs and splutters. A bit of detail about what needs fitting, but that doesn't seem to be deterring anyone. It's um, Maybe it's the colour that's drawing people in. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it's a Skoda, but it's a, it's a cool-looking Skoda. Okay. I mean, it looks a bit like a Fiat, a uh, late 70s mm. Fiat, something I've, I've really, um, I've only seen once or twice before. And, you know, all these years later, I look at it and go, well, it's actually quite a stylish car, but it is uh, the listing, the, the car itself. It, you know, it's, it's not in pristine condition by any stretch. It is a bit of a heap, but it is a rare heap. Yeah, and somebody will love it and look after it and, and, and bring it back to its glory, I'm sure. And it, and it like it look, on the outside, it looks great as well. You know, the, the paint looks fresh. That shrieky, kermity green looks fabulous and fresh. And in uh, property listings this week, a pub in Dannyverk. That is right. The uh, Herbertville Inn is up for sale, which is pretty exciting and if walls could talk i don't know if we'd want to hear much from these ones but you know a pretty fantastic opportunity to to move to danny Verk and own and run a pub for somebody who that suits and the pub itself beautifully set up lots of fabulous space there's a fireplace in there it's really kind of got that iconic kiwi pub look doesn't it it certainly does. It's a it's a perfect old school looking pub, and and the price isn't bad either. I mean, I, I, I you know living in Auckland, I do you know you look at these prices and you do compare them to Auckland housing prices, which you shouldn't really do. But but at six hundred and eighty five thousand, you know, it might be a good lifestyle choice for someone deciding to move out of the big smoke and you know get themselves into the pub game. Definitely, and it's a you know Danny Burke has got a lot to offer. That was Trade Me's Ruby Topsand. <laughs> Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life before the 19th of October, and it likes its name, so let's have a look at who was born on this day. Creator of South Park, Trey Parker, genius, uh, 53 years old today. John Favreau is 56 years old today, and a man with half an ear, Evander Holyfield, he turns 60 years old uh, today, born on this day in 1944, Winston Hubert McIntosh, otherwise known as Peter Tosh. One of the coolest, the Bush Doctor. Uh, born this day in 18... Oh, no, sorry. This was uh, happening in 1860. So there was a politician called Abraham Lincoln who, um, no, he, was, he was tall. He could throw a, um, a sledgehammer a really long way. He was a very good athlete. And um, didn't really have much cut through. And an 11-year-old girl wrote him a letter saying, you should grow a beard. 
You're right back going, that would be silly to start growing one. But he did. And next year, he was President of the United States because people thought he looked more like an in-charge kind of bloke. Uh, happy Independence Day to you, Newey. On this day in 1974, Newey became a self-governing colony of New Zealand. Do we call it Independence Day? You know what I mean. Self-governing day doesn't really have the same ring to it. And this day in 1982, remember the DeLorean from Back to the Future? So John DeLorean was arrested on this day for financing the trafficking of 100 kilograms of cocaine, which was worth 24 million US dollars. He pled not guilty and was later acquitted as the judge ruled, no, it's probably entrapment and you're rich. And in 2000... 2003, Pope John Paul II beatified Mother Teresa, who won the 1979 Nobel Peace Prize for her charity work. I don't know why I wasn't able to pronounce the word peace, but there you go. It's always exciting here at First Up. And that is the day of our life we call the 19th of October. Anzaki's with us, He's powering the business team this morning. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Morena, very well, thank you. Can you tell me about strong job market preventing house prices from slumping? What, how does that go? Yeah, well, I mean, house prices, they've been falling of late, uh, as, you have, as you're probably aware. It's been a steady fall, you know, unlike the rapid rise that we saw over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, it hasn't been a rapid fall. Well, the uh, property research firm CoreLogic, they say a strong labour market is going to prevent house prices from slumping uh, instead of uh, a correction. Um, You know, they said uh, compared to the last big price fall uh, that we saw in New Zealand during the global financial crisis back in 2008, the difference is people have jobs this time around, so they are still able to be active in the job market. You know, they can still uh, try and dream of buying a house. And we spoke to their chief property economist, and he reckons uh, despite uh, prices falling, there is a bit of a mood shift uh, on the ground, meaning we could see a flaw uh, for property values as soon as next year, which is quite interesting. Um, Doesn't mean they're going to go back up, but just uh, perhaps a point where they're going to steady out um, after the gradual falls that we've been seeing this year. But also, perhaps unsurprisingly, he said so far, uh, sales volumes are still pretty weak. So it'll still be interesting to see where it goes next year. You know what you want if you want the house prices to just be really flat as you time it so that that television series, The Block, is having its auctions. That's what you <laughs> want to do. It does there. Hey, uh, also to get ready for interest rates to rise further. What's this? Yeah, well, we had the inflation data, you know, you've been talking about it on the show this morning. Uh, You know, it was a bit of a shock yesterday, the annual rate 7.2% for the three months ended September. Most people thought it was going to be around 6.5%. So uh, as a result, economists now reckon the Reserve Bank will be even more aggressive with interest rate hikes because high inflation just doesn't seem to be going away. Uh, You know, Kiwi Bank, ANZ, ASB and uh, BNZ are all picking a 75 basis point hike in November. Uh, Previously, uh, there was expectation it would be a 50 basis point hike. Uh, And ANZ, they reckon there will be a 75 basis point hike in February as well, with the cash rate uh, peaking at around 5%. So that'll mean mortgage mortgage rates are probably going to go up further. Uh, And why does the Reserve Bank want that? Well, They want people to spend less, and if people spend more on servicing their debt, their other spending should go down and hopefully bring down inflation.
Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, there we go. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Let's go to your money market now. Your New Zealand dollar is worth the following. 56.55 US cents, 90.11 Australian cents, 57.55 Euro cents, 50.55 British pence, 4.08 yuan and 84.33 Japanese yen. Well, 11 Days of Must See Arts events kicks off at the top of the South Island tomorrow. At the Nelson Arts Festival, you can get arts on prescription. To look at a painting, read some poetry or immerse yourself in a performance may be exactly what the doctor ordered. Just like your local pharmacy, art chemist Audrey Baldwin will prescribe creative means to tackle everyday woes and gripes. So I asked her to describe exactly what is it that you're prescribing? Art Chemist is an interactive installation and performance. So basically you come into a custom devised space, you're welcomed by a pastel lab coat clad Art Chemist and you have a seat and you have a prescription where we sit down with you, you discuss what's ailing you, whether that's physical, emotional, existential. And with us looking at our custom-made Art Chemist directory, we'll prescribe for you some local artworks that we hope will either soothe or alleviate or somehow kind of help process your symptoms. That is amazing. See, I checked out of art <laughs> when um, Mr Ward told me to try and draw an egg with a pencil in fourth form, and I thought it was way too oh. hard. So, so tell me about this. <laughs> How do you get something like this to go from that concept in your head through to the execution? I guess I'm really fortunate in that in my day job, I also work in arts access. So I work in public programming. So one of my areas of, I guess, passion is finding ways to open the gate to art and encourage the public to engage in something that quite often seems really alienating, to make it more accessible and kind of playful and to show people that it's not that you don't get it, just give it two minutes and I'm sure you do, you know. I also kind of come from a background of enlivening vacant spaces. So the first iteration of Art Chemist was in an empty shop, Cathedral Junction um, in Ototahi. And I had a vision. I also had a lot of salt lamps and an aesthetic in mind. And fortunately, I have a very handy dad who helped <laughs> me construct the furniture for it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this phone call. Dad! Oh, yes. What is it this time? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I was like, I need help. I've I've got this idea and I need to know if it's physically possible. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess what you're saying is inspiration speaks to you. Like, you, you saw uh, mm. that space and then inspiration just spoke to you and went, wouldn't that be great if that's in there? Rather than you having an idea and trying to find something to bung it into. I knew that there would be spaces and I guess, honestly, sometimes my ideas kind of just like fly into my head and it yeah. seems like it's come from the ether. But this one, I guess, Art Chemist had kind of come from, it had, it had distilled over a few years of working in public programming and access, but also I think a lot about mental health and well-being. Yeah. And some of my past works as well have been, I did a work called Cup of Tea in a Lie Down Clinic, where I transformed a gallery space into a clinic and kind of did these absurd interactions that overcomplicated a moment of human connection. But I wanted to make something that was maybe a little bit more 
relatable to people, you know. Yeah. I love taking the everyday. Everyone knows what a chemist is, but this one's kind of like a mix between a therapist's office, corporate well-being, and a well-meaning charlatan. Okay, so uh, honesty time, Dr. Nato asking you here. Every artist right. that I know, no matter in what form it is, that they get to the bit where there's mm-hmm. the, the exhibition or the show or whatever, and then the nerves come up, and it can be quite a nervous bit. And that, How are you in the build-up to something like this? Are there nerves? Not for Art Chemist, I guess largely because I've done it, this will be its fourth iteration, but also I'm not doing it alone. One of the joys of this work is that I bring other Art Chemists into the fold and I draw on, you know, I welcome them to bring their local knowledge and to be kind of part of the party. And so I'm not by myself and I'm not the only expert, you know, I'm kind of more of a, I'm facilitating and kind of throwing a a very aesthetically themed party. Yeah. So will you be uh, basically coming at at the Nelson Arts Festival, will you be facilitating art for people's illnesses? Say, for example, someone comes in and goes, I've got gout. You got anything for that? Oh, definitely. You know, I think aside from going to the doctor and maybe not eating as much salty food, I would probably talk to them a bit more about what's brought on these symptoms, you know, find kind of the root of that and say, okay, it sounds like, you know, you've got to have to put your feet up for a while. And I'd really love to send you to see this sculpture work in the park so there will be a bit of walking but then once you get to this beautiful garden I'd like you to look at this blooming wisteria and this sculpture with these curvilinear lines so it's yeah it really depends on what else is going on as well we are mere art chemists and not trained health professionals I actually in the making of this project talked to a lawyer to say look I need a an asterisk I need something to make sure I don't get in trouble but it is (laughs) it's, it's about kind of a holistic approach and We'll do our best to prescribe an artwork for anything. I've had people who they fell down and they've got a bit of a bruised bum from their gardening to artists who feel like their voices are no longer valid. And it's quite an intuitive process as well. So we've got our local guide and we kind of have a feel with the person and we have we kind of have a chat and, and find find ways. <laughs> and and Audrey too, I mean tough mental time to be going through for many people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, around the world mm-hmm. that. I mean, do we you know, does it feel like, you know, we really need the arts right now? A hundred percent. A thousand percent. There are studies that prove that the arts are imperative to well being. And from myself, you know, a lot of my practice stems from early, like post-quake Christchurch. So I've seen firsthand how important the arts are to community and to individuals, both as something to bring them together and to kind of remind them of the beauty and the importance of life and to express the troubles that we're going through. I think for me, Art Chemist is very much a response to the mental health crisis. So it is playful and it is kind of satirical, but it's actually really earnest and, and I really do want people to find different paths to well-being. Excellent. That's the art chemist, Audrey Baldwin. So she'll be prescribing creative solutions at the Nelson Arts Festival from tomorrow, Thursday, the 20th of October. It is 17 to 6. Steve from Wilton says, Hi Nathan, our most pressing problem is rent increases. Yeah, uh, it's cost going up everywhere. Thank you very much, Steve. We'll look at that too. Uh, I'm Nathan Radity here at First Up on RNZ National. So still to come, we take you to a store that claims most of the items on their shelves are at least half of supermarket prices. And we're going to meet the new mayor of Whanganui, Andrew Tripe. He joins us live. <laughs> Thank you.
professionals of Morning Report are up after six. And right now in Wellington, uh, no, New Zealand's, uh, sorry, Jerry? Oh, okay. Uh, right now in uh, Wellington's, of course, the most walkable city in New Zealand, Corin Dan. Very yeah, that, walkable. I've got to tell you, when I was a kid, that walk from uh, Hungerford Road over to Berenpore, that was great fun. It is very uh, walkable. From aunties up, to aunties. <laughs> I heard people start complaining in Christchurch that it wasn't walkable enough. I grew up in Christchurch. It's a very walkable it's very city. Flat. It's flat. It's yeah. flat, uh, although there are hills. But uh, no, Wellington's just so much more compact. Very easy to get yes, around. Yes, yes, it is, very much. Yes. But it isn't always weather conducive necessarily to walk. Well, I was thinking it's not the gradient conducive, really, <laughs> is the other part of it. I don't mind the hills. Just yeah. when the wind's blowing you over sideways, you know? That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, today, we've got a very busy program. Uh, we're going to have a, a good look at that shocker of an inflation figure out yesterday, which really has uh, thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, so to speak, because there's nowhere to run, really. This is not good. It means higher interest rates. It's that cost of living which is squeezing everybody, and it doesn't seem like there's much... Uh, the government can do, and, and we sit and watch as the Reserve Bank hikes interest rates. So we'll get more on that from uh, Grant Robertson, the Finance Minister. We'll hear from Christopher Luxon to the National Party leader on that. Uh, Gaurav Sharma, of course, that uh, surprise yesterday, and now the likelihood of a by-election. Uh, what that will mean, who will win, we will analyse that and get the very latest uh, politically on that. And Creative New Zealand is uh, coming on the programme this morning to talk about their controversial funding decision of the Shakespeare competition, or lack of funding, of that Shakespeare competition. Mm. Uh, that'll be good. Do you want to get a U-turn done fast? There's certain groups you get to threaten their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you that. It okay. Seems. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much, Corin Dan. Uh, right, food prices uh, have risen over 8% in the past year. So let's have a look at this. Vegetable prices up a whopping 24% in the last quarter alone. Brace yourselves, things are looking grim with mortgage rates also set to rise too. And with inflation clo- uh, remaining close to a 32-year high, consumers look set to curb their spending is good. For many, that will mean fewer holidays and less money for luxuries. All the supermarket, Leonard Powell, visited a shop that looks set to buck the trend. 6th June 2022. So it says it's best before it's gone, but that's really just an indicator it's yeah. not. Usually, yeah. So 12 months or under, the quality of the product will still stays the same. Reduced to Clear is an independent store selling everyday groceries at discounts of up to 80%. As he shows me around... Monaco store manager Sunny says big manufacturers come knocking when they're having trouble moving stock. Our buyers have a great context with and relationship with a lot of companies and they get in touch with them. Anything is like past best before or close to best before or they couldn't sell in the market and stuff. They supply to reduce to clear. CEO Sean Hills says the business took off after the last recession in 2008. We went really well during the recessionary times and the numbers in the last couple of months are showing that the customer numbers are starting to pick up again. One would think that if you need to save a bit of money, then yeah, hopefully uh, we can help. Products that have best before dates are legally allowed to be sold, as approved by the New Zealand Food Safety Authority. But whilst they won't be sold by the major supermarkets, Reduced Eclair maintains most products still taste fine for several months afterwards. We deal with mostly manufacturers and importers who either have short-dated, it's end-of-line, it's a change of packaging, it's a cancelled export order, perfectly fine stock, but just most businesses in the food game, and the food game's a multi-billion dollar business, have problems with stock every now and then. And we help them remove the problem, and we try and sell it to the public cheap, and 
thus solving a problem and also sort of helping the public out. Shoppers say they've come because they're already feeling the sting of inflation. I'm very high, very high, not affordable for people who are on a budget or, how do I say it, living on a minimum wage. Fact of life, (laughs) it's going up, everything's going up, rates, petrol, everything. And while there's less selection here than at major New Zealand supermarkets, the majority of groceries are much cheaper. For example, an 800-gram tub of Carlo Greek yoghurt was selling yesterday for $7.20 at Pack and Save and just $3.50 at Reduced to Clear. Mother Earth crunchy peanut butter was on sale for just $2 compared to $5 at Countdown. I know that there's better deals here than the supermarkets. I mean, I spend personally on my own family three to four hundred dollars a week on a family of six and like for I spent a lot of them with five dollar items so like it's insane it's it's yeah it's unheard of and I'm spending that a week. I always pop in here to see what they've got on a special yeah. <laughs> and you notice some what do you notice? Very cheap in connection with other shops yeah in the shops it's almost double the price. I actually come here to get like vegan products. My son um, put me onto it, so yeah, I'm here today getting that. And you notice uh, some you're saving money here? Yeah, heaps of money. I think our normal like marinated tofu is like seven to eight dollars, and I can get it sometimes for about two to four. And you're not put off by the best before things? Oh, I've never been a believer of that. <laughs> A 125-gram tub of Meadow Fresh sour cream was $2.29 at Pack and Save, compared with just 69 cents at Reduced to Clear, and the cut price retailer was selling 200 grams of Galaxy Feta cheese for just $2, compared with $4.50 at Countdown. For this customer, it's a no-brainer. This offers good value. What do you save money on mostly here? Mostly day-to-day needs, food products, yeah. Obviously, everything has shot through the roof. Yeah, the prices of daily staples, and here we get, say, basically half price. Still the same stuff, yeah. As we wander around the store, Sunny tells me they've recently installed a small fruit and veggie section to encourage shoppers to make this a one-stop shop. Kumara is $3.99 a kilo, bananas $2.99 a kilo, carrots $2.79 a kilo, and avocados are 99 cents each. Fresh produce is is an essential product, so we made it available for convenience of our customers so that they don't have to go to any other supermarket. Imagine the lady is shopping around with three kids with her, and then she's shopping around reduced to clear, saving her money, and then for buying a bunch of banana or some potatoes and some little bit of basics, she has to go and travel somewhere else and remove the kids from the car and put back again in the trolley. It's such a hassle. So we took the decision to make fresh produce and vegetable available and also introduce a lot of essentials as well at the same time which is which comes in our core range. CEO Sean Hills says as a possible recession bites he's considering plans for more stores around the country. Well uh, Lena Powell out there doing the great work and um, I've had a few messages in this morning which is great I love this one here which came in Nathan RTC in Palmerston North is my go-to shop for food staples and stocking up the lolly jar at work. The colleagues don't know their sugar hit is out of date. <laughs> there we are. So see, bargains all around. you just got to use your feet, go out there and look for them. Well, this week we are talking to newly elected mayors across the country. Today uh, we go to, well, we go to uh, Whanganui where the new mayor, Andrew Tripe, is with us. Kia ora, Andrew, how are you? Yeah, morena, Nathan. 
Very good, thank you. So, look, I mean, you, you ran against a, a, a quite popular and I guess pretty famous mayor for trivia nights and that sort of thing. So, um, but you managed and you, you got in. So, why do you think people voted for you? Well, I guess at the end of the day, it was um, a vote for status quo or or change, and uh, I really pushed the change agenda, and that's what got me in. I noticed actually Phil Major from Wellington had the uh, from Christchurch, sorry, the new mayor of Christchurch had the, the same slogan as me, which was "Vote for the change we need," and indeed that's what people did. What is that, and how are you going to do it? Well, I, my campaign focused on uh, well, had five focus areas, and that was. Uh, what my, I guess my promise was for the uh, for our district in Wanganui, both urban and rural, and uh, the, the first one was really uh, pinned around three waters, uh, protect our local democracy. There's really been a big push towards centralisation and control of services and and assets uh, across New Zealand in recent times, and we, we've had a reducing number of communi- uh, of government services in in Wanganui itself. So that was uh, the, the main headline of uh, Protect Our Local Democracy was to oppose uh, or better oppose uh, Three Waters reform. Uh, not to say that we don't want reform, but uh, but to look for an alternative model than what the government was proposing. So that was the first one. Uh, the second focus area was uh, a more responsive and streamlined council. Now, council do a very good job, but I think it's uh, time to look at uh, how we can find some cost savings and some efficiencies within council and how we spend. Uh, it hasn't really been looked at for some time. Also being more uh, visible and uh, responsive in the community as well, that was something that people said that they were looking for in, in a mayor. Mm. Uh, yeah, and uh, shall I just carry on through? Yeah, 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 go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so the, the, the third uh, focus area was backing business and jobs. And I probably should add skills there as well because there actually are jobs, um, uh, but what we don't have is necessarily the right skills, and you see that right across New Zealand and, and actually the whole world. It's a global issue at the, mo- yeah. issue at the moment. Uh, and in, underpinned in this, uh, this focus area is setting up a mayoral business forum, which is a very high-level uh, business forum with business leaders around our community to, uh, to help shape what the business community would look like in years to come. Yeah. Uh, uh, Andrew, sorry, sorry, just to jump in, because before we run out of time, I know one of your uh, things you wanted to deal with was homelessness there in, in Whanganui, which, um, good on you for that. But one of the things that normally happens is, what happens is you'll get a bit where it's almost like, you know, they sweep them out into less visible suburbs. So how will you really address that issue for the lack of suitable housing? Yeah, another great, great question. That's actually the fourth focus area is better living and housing, and housing is a very complex area. Um, so homelessness is one of one of those areas under housing, and there are actually four different types of homelessness. It's not just a, just simple uh, homelessness, um, and there, there's chronic homelessness, and then there are other types of homelessness. So, uh, look, I'm, again, I'd be setting up a mural uh, social services forum here with iwi and. Uh, social leaders and government agencies to help solve these problems. But I, I'm keen to look at globally, not uh, not domestically, for solving to solve these problems in regard to homelessness. And we've got people, uh, homeless people living on, on freedom camping sites, and you can't really blame them, but it's certainly not desirable for our community for people to be living in these freedom camping areas, particularly coming into summer, mm. where we actually have uh, real freedom campers looking for a place to stay. So my, my goal here is to, and there are some people that want to be homeless and some people are very complex in that homelessness space. 
uh, and, and uh, but for those that are not willing or not wanting to be homeless, which are the majority, mm. we need to come up with a better solution. So for me, it's in one single location actually, and so that you can actually put wraparound social services uh, for these people and uh, create some community for them. Uh, And I've got some ideas on that, but still exploring them. Well, we'll check up with you on those. Uh, you've got a lot to lot, lot to deliver there. The Wanganui Mayor, Andrew Tripe. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, we spoke about Skoda earlier on. Uh, someone says that model of Skoda did reasonably well in car rallies in the 70s. Stephen from Hamilton said, my mother owned a 1964 Skoda Felicia Sport red convertible. Well, there were only four at the time. Violet says, six men and only one woman born today doing something of historical interest reported on First Up this morning. Is this a reflection of reality? Well, it is on the 19th of October, yeah. Unfortunately, don't worry, we'll be back on it tomorrow. Morning Report next with Guyon and Corin. First up, back in your ears, our purple.